Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, I'm joined by the usual crew, Jack, Lawrence, DY, and myself. Now, today we have a very exciting episode because we're recapping on the ICN Queensland show. We also got various questions from the listeners. Appreciate you guys and girls sending through those quick questions so that it can help to uh, provide more content to you in terms of our, our show here. And uh, But let's get into it, boys. How are we feeling? How are we are uh, doing this week? It's obviously, we had the ICN Queensland show on the weekend. We all got the ability to catch up. Uh, most importantly, the uh, I think there was an ICN show. I think the, what everybody was actually there for was the, uh, the, the oh my God, what'd you call the it? The Angle Off. The Angle, angle classic. classic. Yes. Yeah. I should remember it because I actually won it, correct? You did yeah. win. Turn it up. I'm glad that I was the only one that didn't get the ability to pump up backstage. So I think you guys were all back there pumping up. Is that correct? I try to catch you in, yeah, try to catch you slacking, but apparently not to be. <laughs> you don't realize how big DC's arms are until they're relaxed on that side pose and making us look like children. Oh, yeah, yeah. they were totally relaxed. I wasn't flexing <laughs> yeah. at all in that side shot. <laughs> Weren't you using that DP, the hot stuff on it right before too? Yeah, just a quick hot, like, yeah, I'd been, I mean, I was there for my competitors, but actually while I was there, I was just pumping up for the last like seven hours for that um yeah yeah i heard you were running one of rich piana's eight hour arm workouts exactly right yeah i actually was the one that told him about how to train arms like that so but it is always awkward isn't it lawrence when you're like you're right in the middle and you'd be like okay i've got to throw the arms over everybody else around me don't i I can't have my arms out in front hitting a most muscular or maybe you could have but well um, i mean like the post said just dy was on the front foot straight away but to in my credit on tuesday on the public holiday did get a photo at powerhouse and Look, we all make mistakes, but you can't miss twice. So photo straight <laughs> out to the right on the outside, get the arm out. So I wasn't going to play around and, and get boxed in again. Mm, it's all right, man. You were just, you're just a bit flat, aren't you? You're like three weeks into dieting. So you oh, must dude. yeah. Yeah. Cheap meal needed. That's all I can say. <laughs> I was going to say as well, me and uh, DY have actually spent several hours with each other today already because we were at flight center booking flights for the America trip. Um and it was just, it was just chaos. Hey, like we pulled in, none of us had spoken to each other. The poor bloke who was like organizing everything. He was so patient with us. He was with us for like two and a bit hours. So we eventually got it all sorted out, but you know, like Liv and Alana, like doing their thing. They're trying to like discuss like the itinerary and me and DY are just in the back, just cracking jokes at anything that is said, just absolute chaos, but it was a fun time. It was good. Yeah, it was good. As always, like as you'd expect from us too. It was just straight banter. I feel bad for the girls, but hey, we got it Glad done. they were there though. Nothing would have got done. So who actually who actually wrote that post? Because neither Jack nor I are probably witty enough to write a post like that about the, uh, the Angle Classic. Was that you, Lawrence? It was. It was. It, it was. was uh, yeah. I enjoyed someone, the satirical humor. Yeah, yeah. Because someone commented on it and they're like, well, the actual real MVP here is the person that wrote those that post. And I'm thinking, I don't know actually who wrote the post. <laughs> Obviously, it was you. Just post it out, and you know it's it's. We're not individuals here; we're a team. So mm. uh, I if don't want was, to claim credit. If it was own. written by me as well, it'd probably be written by Alana in the end. Anyway, she should have proofed it. At least spell checked, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, reworded exactly. the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, let's recap on the ICN Queensland show, the Brisbane Classic. It was an absolutely immense day. I think we started at like you know eight thirty nine. I think we finished up at like seven o'clock or something like that. Uh, what were some of the the standouts for you guys? Um, I know Lawrence and, and um, Jackie guys watched a good portion of the show. So mm. 
what was um what was sort of the standouts like how do you think the day ran um mate i thought it was great yeah i i think i arrived around 9 a.m to catch some of the first bodybuilding divisions which was good you you forget how long those days are and i wasn't even doing anything to be fair so you must have been absolutely spent by the ndc because you were running all day long but it was really good man like not only great to see some good competitors but also just nice to catch up with everybody and and also have the opportunity to meet some people from interstate like it was good to meet aj someone who's listening to the podcast and who turned out a really good showing as well so props to you both man he looked unreal so yeah it's just show day whether you're competing whether you're helping out whether you're just there spectating like it's never a bad day it's just always good to just catch up with friends and and enjoy you know the the very little time that we get with each other throughout the year because a lot of us aren't are only getting to see each other sort of a couple times a year so it's always special Mm. I was actually surprised when we had that rare opportunity to all stand back and get that photo because it was like I turned around you're all standing there I'm like eh photo opportunity let's do it (laughs) but um anyway it was an absolutely epic day um it was very cool to have AJ come up from 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 New South Wales to compete in that show and I think the the Brisbane show is is um it's such a great show that I think you have a lot of competitors coming you know interstate to to compete there um just for the atmosphere and the quality of competition and the competitors and everything like that so uh, I believe a lot of the competitors that took out some of the overalls at the Sunshine Coast show uh you know took out some of the overalls at the Queensland show which is obviously you know a surprise but of course it was a much bigger show so you had you know many more competitors uh competing across uh I believe Jeff took out the uh, overalls in in the bodybuilding that was a very tough lineup I remember remember coming out to watch that and um yeah between Chez's boy and and obviously um Joey's boy it was like sort of neck and neck but obviously um you know Jeff took out that that um overall so that was very excited what did you boys think very impressive physique he's such a big boy too so to, for both them boys to have so much muscle on their frame it would be extremely imp- it was extremely impressive mm, absolutely and I think yeah, Roslyn just- took out the figure as mm-hmm. well from yep. obviously the Sunshine Coast to the to the uh, Queensland show, very impressive physique on her as well. I think we had like Jasmine take out the swimsuit, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe it was Maddie who took out the overalls in like the women's bikini. Mm-hmm. Um, Men's fitness was-, was Jong Lee. He was one I actually got to verse in the last overall. So yeah, he, really? He, yeah, he, yeah. He came back and he uh, ended up taking the men's fitness title. So it was good to see. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the Georgia took out the women's wellness, I believe. Um, yeah. John, John Lee took out the, obviously the fitness. Uh, we had uh, Fraser Martin take out the overall uh, classic, classic division there. Um, Shanae took out the fitness, I believe. And, yeah. Did she get the sports model as well? I think she yeah, did. She yeah. did. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And Jacob took out the men's, um men's physique which he had a very impressive physique so all around like you know it was just a very impressive day like i think uh the judges had a really hard time you know assessing who who was to be first because most lineups where i was out there you know it could have been neck and neck between a few competitors and first second and third for a lot of them were were very tight so yeah very impressive and uh congratulations to just everybody who competed across the weekend who displayed, you know, such an incredible physique and irrespective of the placings, like you have to be proud of yourself because you put your heart and soul into that prep. 
Um, I actually posted a an old episode. I think it was like episode three that we um, we did, which talked about sort of our post-show struggles because I know that a lot of competitors may not be going to nationals. They may have wrapped up their, you know, their season. And obviously it's a, a great episode to sort of recap on uh, because, yeah, it can be, uh, you know, a whirlwind going from the, the comp prep phase back into the recovery phase and obviously adapting back into like everyday life. So, yes, go back and listen to that. But um, we do have a couple of questions for us to go through in today's episode. Just quickly, uh, DC. Yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack, you had a win over the weekend as well, mate, didn't you? Yes. I don't like taking credit for Tara's success with her clients. But yeah, Agnes did win uh, the A&B overall down in Victoria, which was awesome. And she got awarded her pro card um, at a state show as well, which is um, very, very cool to see. And I think Tara also had great results with her clients um, on Sunday as well at the Brisbane show. I think all of them getting podium finishes. I think Martina won the the 30 plus uh, for fitness as well, which was a great result. Mm, awesome. Fantastic. And I should also say that the, uh, I think the NBA show, Brisbane show is this weekend as well, which is very exciting. And then I believe the weekend after is uh, the national show for both uh, NBA and for ICN, I believe. I think in Sydney, they've got a show this coming weekend, uh, which is the expo actually, the, the, uh, the fitness expo that they've got there at the convention center. So no doubt it's going to be, you know, a, a jam-packed season for, for the rest of the competitors that are still competing. So um, yes, but let's, uh, let's jump into some questions now. This is uh, questions from the listeners. And like I said, I appreciate you guys and girls sending these through. But um, this is to you boys. Has your coaches, your own coaches, had to give you a good kick up the butt for not following the protocol? Probably on one occasion, and it was like fairly recently as well. I wouldn't say it was like a kick up the butt because I mainly associate that with like lack of adherence or just not doing something as well as you could be doing it. And I, I like to think that that's not synonymous with 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 how I like to go about things myself. But AJ, I basically voiced to AJ. Um, it was at the the last kind of fun, final few weeks of my push up phase, and I was yeah having one of those rough days where. I felt a little bit unwell, uh, combined with having no appetite, combined with a leg session, which which basically just wanted made me want to throw up. And I messaged him saying, "Hey, AJ, can we start the mini cut a bit prematurely?" And and he basically said, "No, let's let's kind of re- finish finish this properly." And we still had about I think three weeks to go, so I I got through those three weeks, and um, here I am now mini cutting. So, yeah. Mm. It's interesting in those situations, hey, because even as, as coaches, we can still have those moments where it's like, you know, that moment of discomfort where it's like, hey, can I maybe cut this short or, you know, just like in your scenario. But it's mm. often that, that scenario of like, what would you say to your client if they, if they came to you with a, with a similar, you know, situation? Now, there might, I think there might be times where you, you could potentially move into, let's say, a dieting phase. But I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot to say from just sticking to the protocol for the intended plan. Hey, we're dieting for X amount of weeks. Therefore let's, let's get this done or gaining for X amount of weeks. So no, that's really interesting, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Any other, you other boys have situations where the old coaches had to kick you in the ass? Not necessarily like in prep, it's always been like pretty much like a hundred percent. I think Joe set the standard straight off the get go of what he expected from me. And then in the off season, I guess we have more of like a collaborative approach where it's like, I kind of tell him like, this is what I'm thinking for the off season, like in terms of flexibility meals, like he'll set my macros, but like, yeah, it's not like, uh, I guess I wouldn't have a kick up the butt, like let's say, but yeah, 
in prep, I've never had that. But then off seasons, more like probably what Lawrence has, where it's like a collaborative approach, where it's like you know you more or less like have a chat to him every couple of weeks. You have a check in, see how you've been going, and you know if you have a free meal here or there, it's not the end of the world. But uh, nah. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I my first prep was probably the only time where like we had started prep, and then it was my sister's birthday, so I still went out and just had like whatever I wanted from the restaurant, and then. I think it was like an Australia day where I was like over at a mate's place and like still had like, I guess like some of the food there and I tried to calculate it, but even in my macros, I didn't even have the smarts to lie. I just put it down as what it was. And then (laughs) Joey was like, Hey man, like, you know, you're doing a good job with your training, but we just need to tighten it up. Like you need to, you need to hit these numbers like a lot closer. And then from there, like, obviously we've had, no issues with adherence i think it was probably more just a a lack of understanding that you know prep actually needed to be as meticulous as it needs to be and i just wasn't really aware of that at the time but yeah since then we haven't had any issues Mm, i'm actually i'm actually very similar to you in that case lawrence but um, mine was not so much in association with like having a meal out and prep i remember the first time uh, i believe it was my first check-in with brandon and this was like for my first my first prep uh, we'd not work together in an off season. We'd basically just transition straight into a contest prep. Um, you know, and in that initial sort of uh, email out to say, Hey, this is the plan. Um, you know, the, the, the considerations is that you need to hit your, you know, your macros within like a plus or minus of three grams. So it's a, you know, very tightly controlled variables for us to, to adhere to. And um, I had sort of been employing in the off season, like interchangeability with carbs and fats where I'm like, Hey, if I decide to eat a little bit higher in fats, you know, maybe I can just pull my carbs down a little bit. And it didn't take me long for Brandon to be like, hey, man, like, what are you doing? Pull, pull your head in here. Like, this is not what we do in prep. There's no interchangeability between macros. Like, we strike everything 100%. And yeah, I think the way that I took that was like, you know, the people that I'm jumping on stage with, they're going to be hitting everything to the gram. So if I'm not doing what's necessary, then I'm shortchanging myself. And it it took one, one like one comment of that to be like, okay, this is this is what's required of me moving forward. So that was probably the one and only time where I've been pulled up for, for just not doing what was required. Awesome, boys. Well, let's move on to the next question here, which was, have you ever had to end a coaching relationship with a client slash athlete if they're not committed or they haven't been committed? Let's start with you, Jack. I haven't done it in the black and white sense. Like I've never told someone, hey, I think we need to stop working together because you're not being adherent enough. I think either the... I have voiced it and said, hey, are you sure this is what you want to be spending your money time money on right now? Because maybe for the past X amount of weeks, either nothing's been filled out in the spreadsheets or they're just really not being adherent. Therefore, that either kind of gives them that kind of metaphorical kick up the ass to be like, okay, it's time to get get started and really persevere here. Or maybe it's a sign to them that they actually do need to stop. But I've never terminated it in that sense, I always give, I always just remind them or, or give them the option to, if they want. Um, but that happens very, very rarely. I would say literally a couple of times a year. So very infrequently. Mm. What about you? What about you? Um, TY? I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Like I've never ever been like, you know, like this shit ain't going to fly. Like let's cut it here. Of like, you know, if they might be a little bit off on their macros, for example, if they are like an athlete and they want to do a prep, like, like I might catch that in the pre-prep phase. I'm like, listen, like, you know, we're already having issues here in this pre-prep phase. It's like, we're about to go into prep. So it's like, 
we either need to show that you can commit to it and like, you know, tick the boxes prior to actually starting the prep, or even sometimes maybe in a prep as well. Like there might've been one time a while ago before I started like probably tightening up the screws a little bit into what it takes to do a prep where like, you know, you might catch someone in prep, like, listen, like, you know, you can't get your check-in sheets to me two days late and then like have macros slightly off with like a missed training session. Like that doesn't fly. We do need to bring it in and I might give them like a warning or something like that, but I've never ever been like flat out. Like, Hey, I think after they realize that and they, they probably make the decision on themselves right there. If like, Hey, like I'm going to continue this prep. Like, you know, this is actually what I want to do. And you'll probably either find that they'll tighten the screws up a little bit and then tick, start ticking the boxes. Or they'll be like, you know what? Like, this is actually probably not what I want to do. And it's not as enjoyable as what I thought it would have been. And, you know, I don't really have the time for this. And then they might make the decision themselves, but I've never had to be like, Hey, you've shit the bed. Let's, uh, let's can it here. Mm, absolutely. And I think a similar situation can be applied to like yourself, Lawrence, as well. Like imagine I'm a patient coming to you and I'm saying, Hey, like my knee is just so painful and you've prescribed me recommendations to try and, you know, work through it. And you're like, how'd you go with your exercises today? And I'm, Oh no, I haven't really like done any of them for the last couple of weeks. Like it's still just so painful. Like, you know, what should I be doing? What's mm. <laughs> in that situation? How are you approaching that? Yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, it's a tricky one because you don't want to offside people but you also need to explain that you know if they're expecting any progress they need to follow the plan that you've given them and i think i think overall i probably haven't dealt with like the lack of adherence as much as i thought i would as a physio because my i suppose my rationale is always to probably give people a smaller amount to do um and make sure it gets it gets done but I guess there's also instances where you might be seeing someone for a very long time, say like an ACL rehab, where you've seen them for like a year. And in that time, you know, there's, there's bound to be a few drop-offs and a few people who lose motivation to keep coming to their appointments and keep doing their rehab. And, you know, sometimes you need to give them that nudge and explain to them why they need to keep coming. Because I guess it, coaching and physio is probably quite similar in that, you know, if these people have received a certain amount of service, and then they're going out into the world and then potentially talking about the level of care or the level of service they've received from a coach or a physio, you know, if they haven't really done the plan properly, then chances are they're going to be like, oh, you know what, that coach wasn't very good. Meanwhile, the reason they're getting minimal feedback is because they're barely doing anything on their check-in form. Same with physio, you know, they could be like, oh yeah, I went to him for my knee rehab, but like money is still not very good. But then in the background, you know, they haven't done any of their exercises or they've been slack on their appointments and stuff like that. So I think if you're in the position of a coach or a physio or whatever you may be, you know, don't be afraid to be a bit stern with people and say, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you as best as I can. And right now you're not me, you're not meeting the minimum threshold for me to do my job effectively. So I think it's, you're well within your rights to have a chat about that because at the end of the day, they're kind of going on show as a, a product of your work in a way. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such a great topic to touch upon because it is, it is difficult to have those sort of stern conversations or at least learn how to have those stern conversations as a coach because, you know, you want to be as empathetic towards, you know, someone's situation as possible and obviously work, work around a solution or work, work a solution as to how you can get this person to be, you know, more adherent, adherent or, or more committed. Uh, I think based on where someone is in their journey, you know, sometimes coaching itself is, is not as high of a priority as they probably think it, you know, it is. Um, 
And so like, it's probably, it probably does both of us a service to have that hard conversation. Hey, like, you know, this right now is not up to the standard of which, you know, I would like. And, and therefore, you know, is this something that you really want to follow through? And I certainly had a few of those conversations with, with, um, with clients and athletes before. And I think for the most part, I think the athletes realize themselves that um, this is not worthwhile because coaching is essentially not cheap. Like it is, um, you know, it is a, it is an, an additional cost above and beyond the standards of what you pay for everyday life. Right. So um, I think soon, you know, for, through a couple of weeks of, of non-checking in, they sort of realize that, okay, this isn't really, you know, for me moving forward. So yes. Now uh, moving on to our next question here, should there be more drug testing at state shows across federations? What do you boys think? I would always think that there should be definitely a high level of testing done at the shows, but I don't know how much testing they have done. Like for me personally, I've been tested nearly at every show that I've done apart from maybe my rural Townsville show, my first ever one where all the other ones I have been pretty much tested, especially if I win like an open div. So I feel like that's quite a decent standard of testing. Um, obviously they're quite expensive as well. So it's like, you know, if you were to test every single competitor there, like, I would hate to see what the show entry fees would be for the actual shows. Um, but obviously I would always like a very high level of testing, but I feel like the testing that they have for a majority of the federations is always quite solid. Obviously the WMBF being at the very top where they pretty much test every single athlete. But with that being said, it's also at the athlete's expense. So it's like, you know, it's about, what two hundred dollars for the lie detector test? They have to fly someone to your actual country to do the testing, um, and you know it is quite extensive. Mm, absolutely, and obviously competing itself is is expensive enough as it is, right? In terms of like registering for a show and paying for every single um, category and division you do thereafter. But I I do think that you know if if you had to to pay for the expense of it, but therefore you knew that you were truly competing against people who were, you know, natural, particularly at, let's say like a national show where you had to potentially pay more. I think there wouldn't be an issue with that. And I don't think most competitors would, would care for that. They're already taking the, you know, plane ticket and paying for like the, the hotel and everything like that to go to an event. So perhaps, you know, obviously they do test at national shows for the most part. So that's obviously tick, ticks that box, but yes, I um more drug testing, the better, right. But in terms of the mm. practicality of that, it's, it's obviously very hard for federations to apply that across every single show. Let's say, for example, like the Sunshine Coast, Coast Classic show, it's a much smaller show. Like it would be amazing to drug test everybody, but the practicality of that would be, you know, quite challenging. Well, it'd be like a couple of hundred dollars per competitor, per test, I believe. And then not only that, you've got to have the staff on hand to then go into the toilets with every single competitor to ensure that they're, you know, doing the right thing and then you've got it's a timely process as well where then you've got to send it to whatever facility is going to test it so like if every competitor was going to pay the two to three hundred dollars on top of what they're already paying sure <laughs> but mm. maybe they might be able to do that at like a national show like what you were saying dc whether you know if you do want to obviously step up to the national stage and do that open category for a pro card like you know paying that extra couple of hundred dollars would definitely like you know bring that certainty to the division Mm, absolutely i guess at the end of the day just don't be a dickhead if you're if you're if you're taking something don't compete in a natural show it's, it's as easy as that right or icn could also i'll see you <laughs> icn could also introduce like the 
the hall of shame as well because i think that definitely adds like a fear factor nobody wants to be up there published for the world to see so i've met, heard of one person through this podcast that's um failed a drug test but i don't know of anyone else mm, from absolutely. icn so i think maybe they need to share those results so that yeah and if you go on the like the inba uh you know hall of shame like the physiques that are on there are not impressive at all like I'm sorry to say it, but they just don't look that good. So it's like, and that's I mean, potentially quite scary for ICM because like they could be on that third or fourth. I mean, third or fourth, of course, podium finishes look great, but you know what I mean? They're just because someone's drug testing. <laughs> they, I mean, I got third in the out angle classic. So strong third though. Yeah. Out of fourth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the, I'm pretty sure the pre-workout that I'm taking right now is not legal though. So, you know, Maybe you might have snuck up to a second if I flagged for what, what whatever might be yeah. in the well, look, pre-workout. I mean, you guys didn't know, but there was a drug test for the Out Angle Classic. I monitored when you gents all went to the bathroom and collected a small sample from the pipes, which I should be getting the results any minute from water. Yeah, right. Is that why you were kneeling beside the toilet while I was doing my thing? I thought it was a bit strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was like, oh, this, this, there's like a, a screw loose here. I'll just fix that. <laughs> I was diverting the diverting the pipe. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Basically, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. No. No. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Basically, what I was saying was just to finish up. Like, just because someone doesn't place first doesn't mean they might they might still be using drugs even if they're placing anywhere, which is scary to think. Mm, I guess that's even more embarrassing for that person, though, right? Mm. I mean, walking away from it, not not winning, and still taking something like. You should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> to, to, to sugarcoat it, basically. Um, all right, moving on to the next question here. And this question was centered on how do you go about calculating the time needed uh, in a prep to get stage conditioned? Do you want to start this one, Jack? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's quite a few variables to consider here. And how I've been doing it recently is, is basically assessing like what their starting prep body weight will be and also assessing, of course, what their estimated stage weight will be. So let's say it's rough. Ideally, I don't want someone losing more than 20% of their body weight in prep. Like 20% would be the, the vast upper limit. Ideally, more so within that 10 to 15% range. I think sometimes 10% really is just a bit unrealistic for, for natural bodybuilders who maybe do push their body weight up a little bit higher in the improvement season. Because I think starting at just 10% over and trying to maintain close to 10%, like somewhat year round is you may be limiting your improvement season progress, to be honest, unless you're quite an advanced trainee. But anyway, I would then separate the prep up into different rates of loss and essentially work backwards from there. So typically at the start of the prep can probably afford to lose, I would say for the first 10, maybe 15 weeks closer to like um, 1% of your body weight per, per week. And then I would say in the, the final like 10-ish weeks, you're probably looking at more so half a percent of your body weight, if that, and essentially doing the math on those variables to, to get your timeline. And most people I, I do roughly set at 25 weeks anyway, and then work backwards from there. And it usually, um, if I need to add in or take away a few weeks here and there, then it's not, not a big deal. Mm. No, that's, I, that's a great, that I think everything you, you stated was, um, was very similar to what I would do as well. I think you need to get, you basically need to understand what someone's starting position is, where their potential end position is, and then you work out as a product of that, 
you know, how much over their particular stage weight they're sitting at. And I think like, like you just touched upon, like sitting at the 10% above stage weight, like for someone like myself, that's sitting below 90 kgs, which like, I know if I'm starting to sit below 90 kgs, I'm starting to get some diet fatigue. I'm starting to see some, you know, increase in food focus and hunger and I'm maybe starting to, starting to touch upon like my, not necessarily huge drop off in performance, but my sessions are just not as productive. Um, so it's like, do you really want to live there, you know, for, for that long? So I, I think the 10% is probably a little bit unrealistic for some, maybe those, there's those greyhounds that can probably, um, you know, hold that sort of leaner physique and be pretty cool. But I think for the most part, most people, you know, not so much. So like you said, I think 15 to 20% above stage weight is usually a pretty comfy, comfy position, but you'd probably work it out as you know, how many kilos worth you, you've got to lose. Um, what would be like the average rate of loss you would need to achieve in kilograms based on a loss of like 0.5% of your body weight, you know, per week. And you don't aim to lose that very linearly through the course of the prep. You won't probably want to go pretty damn hard at the start like you said, like a 1% rate of loss, maybe even just a touch higher uh, so that you can free up some time later down the track towards the end of prep where you probably want to go a bit slower. Your chances of losing muscle mass is greater if you're, um, you're trying to diet harder at, you know, at the very end. So get that stuff done at the start or midway through so that you can free up time down the track. And I think also slowing things down at the end like also gives you the ability to practice some... some um, peaks and things like that not necessarily like a full peak week but obviously start to to push forth more you know refeeds and, and diet breaks and things like that that are probably needed towards the tail end uh, as opposed to the start you know i really don't think for most individuals like the first eight weeks of dieting you need to run a diet break <laughs> if you're like 20 30 weeks out and, and you're starting to run a diet break at that point you probably need to move things a little bit harder at the start to free up that time for you know when it's essentially needed so is there anything you want to add, add DY to, to any of that? No, it's pretty much the exact same. The only thing is like, yeah, I'd pretty much like try and factor in about like three to four weeks, maybe of leeway, just in case something like, you know, you know how prep is like shit always happens. Stuff might come about. Um, So that way, you know, you have a couple extra weeks for like what you said, DC, like a test peak week, maybe like a diet break or something along the lines of that. So, you know, always factoring in a couple of extra buffer weeks, but I'm the same, like, you know, pretty much guess roughly where their stage weight would be and then work back from that. Um, And then keeping them somewhere in between that, like a 10 to 20% um, loss during prep, depending mm. on what they're like and, you know, what body fat percentage they like to hold and how heavy they are. Absolutely. I think like for most individuals, there's always more to lose. Don't you think like, yeah, there's always more body fat to come off than you actually think and you, and you predict to be. So like, even if you're relatively generous with, with your predictions, like take off more, <laughs> take off an extra kilo or so, or kilo or two kilos off your prediction. Cause that's always the case. Like, so having those buffer weeks, like you said, DY, I think is very important. I think B and I tend to add four to five weeks on top of anyone's prep in terms of a timeline. So and that's to factor in at least like, let's say two, you know, two diet breaks, three diet breaks, maybe a trial peak, something like that. But of course, yeah, like you said, there's many things that, I mean, in a six month span of, of, of prep, of course, there's going to be something within that timeline that might affect the, uh, the effectiveness of the prep. You know, there might be a random week of non-adherence due to, I don't know, anything really, right? So um, I think that's important to factor in, but I think that pretty much touches upon mo most of that. But um, moving on to our next question here, how do you feel about employing rest pause techniques uh, in your training? I know that there's been a little bit more conversation around 
doing something like rest pause within a set as a means of pushing those extra couple of repetitions so making maybe taking an intra rest period within a set to get through you know additional reps at the end but um let's jump over to you lawrence is that something that you've ever used in your training like what are your thoughts on employing some sort of technique like that in your training yeah, I guess a rest pause for me would more so be like a, a, a couple sets where from the the outset, you know, there's going to be some rests followed by, you know, a few more reps and then a few less reps, blah, blah, blah. Like I wouldn't so much count exactly, you know, something like a hack squat where you're doing this set of 10 to 12, you get the first eight done and then you're, you know, breathing for 15 seconds in between the last four. Like, I don't know, to me, that wouldn't, that's not what I think of when I think of a rest pause, but I think they can be quite useful, especially if you're short on time. You know, they can be a really, really good asset if you're short on time because you can get a lot of effective work done, a lot of hard sets done in a relatively short amount of time. I also think that for certain days, they're quite useful um, if you've got quite a lot of volume on that day already. So for example, like a leg day, potentially your leg volume is needs to be quite high you're doing like a posterior focus day. You've already been in the gym for two hours, but you still need to do some leg extensions, for example. So rather than doing three straight sets where you're resting for 90 seconds to two minutes, maybe you just bang out a rest pause. So for me, the way I would normally program that for myself or for others would be selecting a weight that you could do for 12 to 15 reps around like a, I don't know, one RIR, let's say. And then you'd complete that set you'd rest for 30 seconds. You'd then do another set at the same weight to failure. You'd rest for 30 seconds and then do that again. So that's what I sort of think of. And you can get, you know, three hard sets done in a couple of minutes, which can be quite useful if you want to just get that last little bit of work done in what is already a large session. Or if you're on holiday, for example, like, and you want to save some time, but you still want to get some decent work done in the gym, rest, rest pause is a really good option mm. for that. Mm. Something like even myo reps, which I know like, um, Jared Feather and, and Dr. Mike Isratel and things like that have used in their training. And I've even used for myself and, and some of our athletes, athletes as well. Um, certainly, I think it's a good technique to use when you are short on time. You know, like you want to take these sets and, and make sure that they are very, very stimulatory. Like I think it can be a good method to use. What about you, boys? What about you, Jack? Have you ever used any sort of rest pause stuff before? Not really, not, not intentionally. I think there are those sets where... I do find I need to rest a little bit more in between reps. Like as a rule of thumb, I try to make it as continuous as possible just to make it as, I guess, replicable and accessible as possible week to week. Because if you are, let's say, resting five seconds in between reps week one and then week six, like you're resting 20 seconds in between reps or let's say the final three or four reps, like have you really progressed in strength or have you just rested longer in between reps? So I think it's good to make it con as consistent as possible. And even this mini cut, like I'm finding in my leg press on, on Monday, like I definitely did rest more in between reps because I think part of it is mental, like the difficulty of it increased. And therefore I felt like I needed to rest more, but there was also just the fact that I think if I didn't rest a bit more in between the reps, I probably would have just hit failure prematurely. So I think uh, sometimes you just got to be, sometimes you just got to go. And even if you feel like you need to rest, you just got to, go for that rep and if you fail you fail like that's the mentality i often use sometimes mm, in mm. in that context jack like it almost begs the question like what is the point of doing that final rep if you're mm. 
if keeping the continuous reps is still going to get you to failure and we know that, you know, as long as you're getting to a decent proximity to failure, then uh, the number of reps is almost arbitrary. Like as long as technique is good and that sort of thing, but because it almost begs the question, it was like, well, is, you know, taking a five second breath, holding the weight at the top and then amping yourself up for the last one is like, is the stimulus to fatigue ratio where you want it to be? Like, are you just absolutely ruining yourself on that final rep to mm. get, you know, maybe not much more stimulus than you would have gotten had you just left it there? That I guess that's my, my sort of rationale for why I sometimes question when people are like trying to get that last one, but they're pausing for like 10 seconds. Well, it's human nature, isn't it? To want to beat your previous performance. And that's certainly me. Like I, and that's the reason why as people get stronger, sometimes their technique degrades as well, because like they, they're pursuing that heavier load, but, or they're pursuing the greater number of reps, but something's got to give in the middle if they haven't truly gained real strength in that interim period. Mm. I think the only benefit that I can see to maybe taking uh, a bit of a rest in between those like final repetitions is let's say you're doing like a set of 12 on a hack squat, like by that 10th, 11th, 12th rep, like there is a cardiovascular component to that, you know, especially if those, those reps are taking a little bit longer. Um, so, and perhaps your ability to like brace properly in the bottom position of that hack squat comes from, you know, being able to regain some degree of breath in between your repetitions. So I feel like it might help in creating a stronger Valsalva. Therefore you could potentially push through that rep, you know, with a, with a, with a stronger positioning, perhaps that's, that's kind of the reasoning, but I mean, I, I, I think something like that would be more applicable to some of those more compound, you know, heavier base movements than perhaps doing something like that on, you know, a lateral raise or something like that, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. It's good. Mm. Like if you're doing it from rep one, something's wrong. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But my, my stance on this is like, are you doing the rest pause technique as an intensifying technique or like what you guys have said, where you're like trying to break up your set? Cause like, you know, you could do hack squat, you could do eight reps, 10 second break, and then go another like five. And if that's not an actual like deployed intensifier technique that you have specifically for that muscle group, then maybe having that break could be counterintuitive. Like, you know, driving up the fatigue, if you have other hard sets after that. For me, I normally like if I don't have the actual intensifier technique within that exercise and that set, I might give myself one break for like what DC mentioned, like cardiovascular, like I might do a leg press and I'll be like, I'm allowed one break in between it, you know, to catch my breath and then go. And then whatever I get after that, I remember Steve Hall doing that, I believe um, from Revive Stronger, he was mentioning doing like, you know, because otherwise if I was doing a hack squat, I could break up the last five reps and make the set go for two minutes and just keep squeezing out one reps. But how productive are they going to be to what I want to do? And how much fatigue are those reps going to generate? But then you also have the other side of things, which is the rest pause set, where you know you can then add in a little bit of extra volume, also squeeze out a couple of more effective reps. I'm actually a decent fan of the rest pause sets. One, because it also helps people that might be a little bit newer into the gym, um, learn what really getting after it and those hard reps feel like and like you know you might have some people that might stop their sets like five to ten rar when you're doing a rest pause set for three sets back to back where you're pretty much milking the last five reps that are extremely hard there's nearly no way about um a rest pause set that's going to be easy when you hit the end of the rest pause set 
it's fucking hard. Like that shit's going to have you puffing, like your legs are going to be on fire. And I think that can carry over into multiple other little lifts, maybe like leg press um, or something else along the lines of that, when they might be like, you know what? I actually did have so many more reps in the tank than what I actually thought of that, that I thought I had. And then they can then maybe carry that over to bicep curls into maybe a single arm pull down or something like that. And um, that's why I like to use them as well. The intensifier techniques. Mm, yeah. like I, said, I think, it, I think we can, can really get caught up on that whole like, oh, stimulus to fatigue ratio. Like I don't want to create too much fatigue because I always want to stimulate. Like, you know, the part of just getting after it in terms of training might mean having to take some sets to a place where maybe you need to have a two to three rec- seconds rest in between. Like I think most people probably underpredict how close to failure uh, or, or sort of, you know, they, they, they're nowhere near failure as they probably think they are. Like you you know, a great way to, to assess whether someone's working within a close proximity of failure or not is like get them to send through a video of their leg press. You know, if like that final rep on that leg press is not a grind, like you got many reps to go. And most people would finish their set there and be like, oh, you know, I had one rep to go. It's like, no, your first rep and your last rep was the same speed. Like <laughs> you got many more reps to go. So perhaps for some individuals employing like a rest pause technique is actually to ensure that they're training like hard enough. So I think in most most situations, like there's pros and cons with like, you know, all aspects of training, right? Almost like every technique has its has its pro and its con. Mm. If I were going to add one thing, I think I do agree with that, DC. It's like two to three seconds, no dramas. Like that's, I feel like that's fair enough, especially for some of those bigger compounds. One of my pet peeves in the gym is when you see people deadlifting and like most cases they get to the end of the set, they've got like no eccentric control. And then they're like taking like eight breaths to deadlift again. And then maybe they're like, you know, restrapping, but they've like kind of hold on to the bar. So like, oh, it's the same set. Like, no, like in that time, you could have put a cup of tea on, you know, watch an episode of your favorite show, prep a meal. Like it's, it's a new set at that point. And I feel like those exercises, like those big compounds, like those are probably the ones that, maybe you don't want to take them all the way to naught RIR anyway, because, you know, in those, like those circumstances, they're potentially the ones where there's something that could go wrong rather than go into like zero reps in reserve on like a lateral raise. So I think it's important to select your exercises where you go to that limit on. Mm, absolutely. Train, train hard and train smart <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> it's the episode title right there. There you go. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, next question, thoughts on the frequency of refined carbohydrates in the off season. Let's throw this over to the dietitian, my man, Jack, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So it's a bit of, again, one of those questions where it's like, it depends. And I think there are a bunch of different circumstances where, uh, refined carbohydrates might be, might be more prudent. I think if we got to examine performance or nutrition for performance versus nutrition for health as well. So I guess objectively in a black and white sense, like is there's no doubt that, okay, let's say some, some vegetables and some whole grain carbohydrates. Is that, is that more nutritious for you than refined carbohydrates? Like, yes, it is. There's don't think really anyone's arguing that it's, it's not. And (laughs) ultimately that doesn't mean there isn't a role for refined carbohydrates in the off season from like an appetite perspective and also a, a uh, performance perspective as well. Because if you are eating whole foods, let's say pre-workout, um, even post-workout as well, like how are you going to fare in your session when you're trying to 
push to a zero RIR or your heart rate's coming up significantly. And we also don't want to elongate digestion by a ridiculous period as well, because then your parasympathetic nervous system is going to be dominant in the session and not your, your sympathetic nervous system, or at least the two nervous systems will be competing, which isn't ideal for good training performance as well. And that's one of the major reasons why a lot of people maybe do feel uncomfortable digestive wise in their session, or maybe they feel like throwing up in their session on particularly on leg days, because maybe they're either they timed their meals too close to training or potentially they're consuming too many whole foods um, pre-training as well. So I think every day in the improvement season isn't an issue for refined carbohydrates. The devil is in the dose as well. Like you don't want to be having exclusively refined carbohydrates. Like if your diet in the improvement season doesn't have like 300 grams of fruit, 450 grams of veg, if you're not having at least 30 grams of fiber a day in the improvement season, which should be realistically a piece of cake, um, then something is something's wrong there. All I heard was a piece of cake. I'm yeah, that's, that's check your fun and you're shooting yourself in the that's, footy. That's mate. refined calories, mate. What are, what are you talking about? Who are who invited this clown? Who goes to diabetes? Had Sierra's uh, microwave protein cake? Have you party pooper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I think refined sugar it, it paints it in a really bad light. If we look at perhaps another definition of refined, it says elegant and cultured in appearance, manner, or taste. So when I'm eating my refined carbohydrates, you know, think of the cocoa pop, elegant in design, revered mm. in taste, convenient Round, to eat, circular perhaps structure. with a whey shake. Just so the whispers, think, the whispers of that crackle, oh, you know, crackle and pop, right? Unbelievable. Like, you know, I've got to go. I've got to tune out. <laughs> All right, boys. I, yeah, I've got to leave early. So I just think you were painting it with a bad brush. Don't think refined as in, you know, Processed, think cultured and elegant. Mm. Would like it's all to, about um, mindset. The course content at UQ. I'll make. Well, they're constantly in my emails, just asking me to give lectures. So I better respond to them eventually. Mm. We just like to take a moment to to thank our sponsors, Kellogg's. For uh... <laughs> <laughs> Did you imagine that'd be the dream, dream sponsor, bulking dream. But uh, yes, that rounds out that question. Now, this is our last question for the day. And uh, I've obviously left the most important question to, to the very end because we want to finish on a really you know, beautiful note here. Who would win the fashion walk in the WFF out of the, out of the four of us? Is it a male or a female div? I take it it would be like a male fitness div or something. Oh, look at this guy pretending like he doesn't know. Oh, oh, what do you mean? Like I'd probably win the bikini, but I don't know about the male muscle model. No, there's <laughs> I've got to the, fill um, out a suit first. Yeah, exactly. No, we're talking about the, the suit walk. Mm. Mm. Who would take it? I reckon DC could rock a really nice suit. Yeah, I reckon Jack, he's got Jack those glasses. Really nice suit as well. He would have those glasses too. It'd look real snazzy. Yeah, like and I reckon it. DC would pull up in like a like a shortcut like trouser. We're just like showing a little bit of ankle, boat shoes, really classy blazer, the moustache, the tight around the hips. Mm, oh, mm, game over. 100%. Well, I just, just I, the pants are going to be tight around the hips, Jack. Let's let's be honest with DC. <laughs> I could just see him in like a navy suit, but like you know how they have that like light checkered look to it. Mm. I could just see him white glasses on. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. L- little gold specks circular. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Mm. nice yeah well i i mean when i decide to compete in the wfff i'll um i'll hit you boys up you guys can dress me perfect <laughs> I'll just you might not fit into the, the fitness category though what's that you might not fit into the fitness category 
maybe step up to the the larger size Mm. is there a larger size i believe so yeah it's not i think fitness is the uh i don't want to say the smallest category but it is uh, it is i believe so (laughs) you'd be exactly right (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's apart from icn it's pretty much the pinnacle of the icn shows a little bit different from fed to fed All right, boys. Well, that basically wraps up another episode of the Bodybuilding Download Podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. If you love today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review. And we will certainly see you in the next episode.